For GateWorld.net, I'm Darren Sumner. David Reed and I are here with Mr. Brad Wright, executive producer of Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, writer of Stargate Continuum. Thanks for having us back. Well, it's good to be back, actually. <laughs> I'm still in my office, so I haven't left anywhere. Brad, you're the easiest interview in the world. All I have to do is come in and sit down and say, so what's up? <laughs> Tell me everything I need to know. I do talk a lot, don't I? I'm, I'm kind so of... what's up? That's what we want. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of things going on, but obviously I want to talk about Stargate Continuum. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's being released uh, July 29th, and... Uh, I just showed you the trailer, and uh, uh-huh. it looks pretty cool. Phenomenal. Uh, I'm uh, speaking at the uh, convention tomorrow about it, and that's exciting. Um, this is the biggest, best thing I think I've ever done uh, for Stargate, wow. and uh, I feel very proud of it. Uh, Martin Wood did an amazing... Twelve years. It's, uh, it's, you know, you always have some small regret. Uh, with something that you couldn't pull off. I wish you could have done this. I wish we could have had that. Uh, there are so few regrets in, in uh, how Continuum turned out um, that I, uh, you know, it's not even worth mentioning. Uh, Martin did such a good job directing it, and uh, we had such a good time on set together because I was there. Uh, unlike in the television uh, show where I had to be worried about the next script or the next cut or the next mix, um, uh, this was the only thing I had on my plate uh, for uh, all of last spring, and and I devoted a ton of energy in the uh, into the writing of it, and was able to finish it with enough time because I had to write the Arctic scenes first. I had to have the scenes ready to go for the Arctic, and I wanted the whole script to be finished so that the actors who read it uh, knew where they were going. Uh, so the movie we've been told started with, "Hey, do you guys want to go to the North Pole?" That's exa- the movie started. With a man named Barry Campbell, who runs the Atlas uh, uh, ice camp for the Navy, and I, and what they do is, as I'm sure, very interesting and very cool, and uh, and it's all submarine stealthy stuff. Uh, but what they offered us was, at first, come on up, you know, bring some cast. Everybody would love to meet you. We know we have this one in a lifetime experience to offer you, mm-hmm. and it'll be great for morale at the camp. And John and I. And Martin obviously said, "Well, uh, why don't we shoot up there?" And which meant, "Okay, now well, I got to come up with some, some sort of frame, some sort of story that uh, justifies us being uh, on the North Pole at the North Pole uh, on Earth." And I wanted it to be on Earth because I knew there was going to be a nuclear submarine uh, surfacing, and and you want to get that, you want to make that part of the movie. When I found out uh, that we could f- for sure shoot aboard the submarine, and we actually had to fly uh, to San Diego and, and not talk them into it, but convince them that we were, uh, you know, we knew what we were doing, and, and that we had a good relationship with the armed forces, and as the as the air force attested, and so we uh, we had this opportunity, and I literally framed the story around that opportunity, mm. and. Um, that okay now how do I get them to the Arctic and the and the 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 notion of of the Stargate being at its most vulnerable in history, or at least since it since it was uh, dug up, uh, was when it was being transported from Africa to North America mm. at the outbreak of World War Two. Ah, okay. And so okay, uh, Stargate's on its way across. Ball's gonna sink the ship. 
somehow a heroic act has to take place to stop the ship from being sunk. Uh, what if the, the captain of that boat, uh, by uh, cosmic coincidence, uh, happened to be uh, the grandfather of uh, Mitchell? Another heroic figure performs a heroic act of getting the bomb off his ship before it explodes. And uh, hence the ship just keeps going on the course it was when they were uh, navigating their way, zigzagging across the Atlantic, and ends up lodged in the ice in the Arctic. So when we get back after the timeline has been altered, we emerge in the hold of a ship in present day, but we're in the hold of a ship in the Arctic, and how do we get out of this? It had to be a scenario that we had to be rescued by a nuclear submarine. And so that's kind of how it all, the whole story, started with that thought. And, of course, then there's the getting out of it part, which is the rest of the movie. <laughs> but it sounds like Ball's gotten his hands on some time travel or time manipulation technology. He actually got got the idea from us when he was uh, good on Earth. Uh, um, the, and, uh, in fact... I didn't even know how I was going to tell the story for this movie until I came up with uh, the concept for the uh, time machine. It was so much fun, and, and the visual effects are among the best we've ever done. Uh, Craig, uh, who used to be at Image Engine, uh, mm. did his his uh, team did the F fifteen flying sequences and their feature quality. And uh, as you saw, a little piece of yeah, and. Uh, and I just had a blast. And Joel Goldsmith uh, just uh, wrote the most magnificent score I could imagine. And we uh, had the privilege of uh, listening uh, to it being recorded in Seattle just uh, just a little while ago. And it was so much fun to to uh, go through the process of hearing his little frame, his little skeleton that he does electronically, and then hearing a whole orchestra mm-hmm. play it. It's just amazing. I just love that. Richard Dean Anderson's back in the movie. Is he? Is Jack O'Neill back too? Jack O'Neill's back. Uh, General Jack O'Neill is back, and so is Colonel Jack O'Neill. And uh, I'll let you figure that out when you see the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's uh, and it's funny because he plays the characters, if you will, a little bit differently. Uh-huh. Uh, there's the O'Neill uh, who's gone through the process and is kind of the O'Neill, uh, the evolved uh, funny guy. Yeah. Who doesn't take very much seriously anymore because he's seen so much. He's responsible. Yeah, and then there's the and then the then there's a, uh, another side, an old, an, a, not an older side, but uh, a, a side of O'Neill from a few series back. You know, there's one thing about Rick and his performances; they seem uh, they seem like he's just so fresh, you know? He seems like it's just coming off the top of his head. I promise you he's put so much thought into how he's going to play it, into the arc uh, of, of, a, of how, it's, how it plays out in the whole movie. And I, and I know that from, from the editing room. I go, oh my god, he, he had to... He, it doesn't act like he's you know, done a whole pile of homework. And maybe it's just he's got good actor instincts, but he's always, he's always spot on, and uh, it was so much fun to have him back. You, I was I was just uh, I was saying in another interview recently that uh, the fun of having Rick back. You watch dailies, and and you go, well, that's what that's what we've been missing. That little yeah. that quality, that Richard E. Anderson kind of spark. Yeah, it's his seal. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And uh, he's not wall to wall in the movie. Uh, 
uh, it's really about our team uh, and uh, and of course uh, uh, the altered timeline. So you would say that the movie has lived up to your goals and expectations? Yeah, you know, uh, like I said when I uh, off the top, I I think this is the uh, this is my best work, and I think it's some of Martin Wood's best work, and uh, especially you know it's it you always say when you're making a, a show, considering what we had, considering the budget we had, and considering the schedule we were. I mean, the audiences don't know the constraints you're under, but. Um, uh, we shot this movie in uh, 18 and a half days, mm-hmm. plus a couple of days in the Arctic that were hardly full shooting days. They were catch-as-catch-can mm-hmm. when the wind wasn't blowing, so the windshield didn't <laughs> go above 60 below, but uh, cold. And uh, and so we uh, we did, in, in, my, in my estimation, a movie that looks bigger than the resources that we actually had uh, because we literally pulled every trick we we knew out of the book and uh, and I was there which was very helpful for Martin because not that not that these guys don't uh, completely uh, have uh, uh, know what they're doing but quite often they will cover something thinking I might want it okay I better I better do a close-up here in case Brad's yeah, gonna right. say mm-hmm. the next be shouting in the editing room Damn it! Where's my close-up? Uh, I was able to say, "We're done. We got it. That's that's how we want to do it. We, that's how we want to leave it." And and for that reason, it has quite a filmic look. It looks like a feature as opposed to uh, an, a big episode. It it has a film structure. It has a it has a film's uh, size. It's got uh, it's got scope, like you saw in the, in the uh, trailer. And there's believe me, a lot more that you haven't seen that is just enormous. We built a ship. We built the 1939 ship yeah. that that uh, James, James Robbins uh, and I were chatting at the beginning of uh, prep, and I said to John Smith, our line producer, oh, we can get a we can get a ship in the harbor, and, and that and he said, yeah, yeah, but 1939, uh, yeah. And then uh, James realized that to retrofit any real bridge that is in a modern, uh, you know. We would have to cover up all this equipment and you know add a whole bunch of stuff, and we'd end up spending as much money as if we built the thing from scratch. Mm-hmm. Plus, what we were able to do is build the. We were going to have to build the hold separately. That's the hold in which the Stargate inside. Uh, is inside that we find ourselves in, and that that hold uh, that we built. We <laughs> whereas in the television show we would have built a, a, a room, a nice room with the Stargate in it. We built a nice gimbaled room. So that when the ship begins to uh, sink in the Arctic after the after we uh, blast our way out of the uh, uh, the side of the uh, of the ship with uh, C4, it actually is tilting. It actually is uh, sinking, if you will. And uh, and of course, it's the Arctic, and the Arctic is cold, so we refrigerated the stage. Mm-hmm. And these are things that uh, we have done on the television series, but never quite to this scale. I yeah. think it compares to Arc of Truth in terms of of how the how the budget looks on screen. Well, we actually uh, uh, we spent a little more on Continuum, uh, but as you, you know, you saw Arc of Truth. It's a, it's got a, a, an epic feel too. It's huge, and uh, and you know, flying helicopters over over mountains and and uh, it's, so it's 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 similar in scope uh, in the sense that they're both big movies. 
I think the difference between the two movies is exactly the difference we set out to make between them, and that is uh, the fans deserved a big completion of the Ori story, and, uh, and that's what Robert made. What Continuum is, in a, in a sense, is uh, I've been calling it a good old-fashioned Stargate. And, and, and in that sense, it's the big movie I always wanted to make. It's the, it's the movie I wanted to make, and it's not a hell of a lot smaller in scope than the one I would have put as a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it feels like it could have been a theatrical release in, in many ways. Uh, uh, of course, <laughs> uh, we had nowhere near that, that much money to make it, but... But we had enough that we we could put quite a lot on the screen, and and uh, and that's the difference. One is one is uh, uh, what we set out to do, which was to complete the Ori storyline, and the other is a standalone, good old-fashioned Stargate movie that we hope is one of many going forward, mm-hmm. and maybe even, and <laughs> I keep saying this, an audition to MGM and to the world that we know how to do this. Maybe we can do a theatrical release. Yeah. Right. We were talking with Cliff Simon, and he said that the ending leaves a big question mark. Would you have you considered perhaps revisiting the the stories that um, that this movie tells in a future movie? Yeah. The story, uh, this, and uh, I think the funny part of this movie is that people go, "Oh, that was fun," and then they start asking questions. Well, wait a minute. Then what happened to Mitchell, and and what does this mean for this guy? And what about, especially for for Cliff's character? Uh, there's there's even a a whole new potential for uh, for his character that uh, going forward. Um, but that's what a good movie is supposed to do, especially a good Stargate movie. It should it should make you think of other possibilities. That um, we have enough other Stargate stories that we might want to tell on the big screen before we mine from the mythology of uh, of Continuum. If this were a television series and Continuum was one of the episodes, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories that I'd like to tell. There's a there's an interesting period of time for Mitchell that could be a story all by itself. Mm. Some fans have expressed that uh, the short description of Continuum that we've seen so far sounds a lot like Mobius. You think the two are similar or dissimilar? You know, Mobius was was my story idea, so I. Uh, and I and I said when we were developing it, you know, this kind of steps on, uh, you know, a movie a movie idea. This could be a movie. Mm. Uh, the big difference between this and with Mobius is that my idea for Mobius was seeing ourselves uh, had the Stargate program never impacted them. Uh, and and how very different we I mean the the, the idea that that Daniel is teaching English as a sacred language <laughs> and that Carter is a junior uh, a bureaucrat uh, you know somewhere and, and is kind of they're essentially the nerds that that they are not in in, in SG one and uh, and uh, O'Neill is a fisherman. an old fisherman with a funny accent actually he's hilarious in that scene I just I just split uh, but but. The difference, uh, the huge difference between this and Mobius is that um, because we're trying to escape the, uh, the, the change in the timeline as it's taking place, it's a slight conceit, of, or a major conceit, if you will, of the, of the, of the way this timeline is altered, yeah. that things are happening and people start disappearing individually. 
the, the, it's like a wave is going forward or through time from the from the from the origin of, of when it happened so that so that uh, people in, uh, people are disappearing and then eventually places start to disappear uh, okay. uh, and uh, and so we, when when the timeline begins to change uh, valid actually valid disappears first and we don't notice how she's just suddenly gone and then and then tilt just poof, disappears in thin air and then a bunch of the tokra and the scene we're in start disappearing and then we, and daniel realizes you know we gotta get out of here yeah and and they're in the stargate trying to get back to earth as the wave that would have impacted them uh is, is, so they're literally out of space time when the this happens. Protects them. In a way, the wormhole protects their memories and, and, and creates a, a paradox. Mm-hmm. Because when they emerge uh, on Earth, um, they remember everything. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of Mobius in that sense. We, we're outside the changed timeline and are ba- running around trying to fix it and saying... Um, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And as Landry points out, he says, supposed to be as relative. Yeah. yeah. We kind of like it fine the way it is. You know? And Well, what about the Stargate? What about, what about uh, all the people we could meet? And Landry says, well, and we'll do that. Well, there's a lot of excited people around here. But why the hell are we going to you know, change the lives of thousands, if not millions of people? Yeah. Uh, this, this ghoul you're talking about, uh, and he kind of mocks it, uh, is not here. So, you know, lighten up. Does the topic come up that maybe this reality is better because we haven't gotten into such trouble in the galaxy? Uh, uh, exactly. That's exactly what comes up. Okay. However, Ball has not done this uh, for, uh, recreationally. He's done this to uh, to rebuild, to become the you know as powerful as he can be. And though fifty years has gone by or so between, you know. The, the time when the timeline changed in 1939, and and the present, he's been using that building up. Uh, oh wow! And uh, and when he comes, he comes in uh, in a big way. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many Hatsaka vessels were in that shot we saw in the trailer? Uh, there are there are some that are minuscule in the distance. Will future SG1 movies necessarily include the entire cast, or uh, might you choose to tell a story? It doesn't involve everyone. That's a very good question. Um, for me, a future uh, an SG one movie uh, should cl- include O'Neill. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I feel about uh, Stargate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were spinning your third movie idea. What can you tell us? I it's an O'Neill story, yeah. uh, and I would include uh, as many of our cast as we could, mm-hmm. uh, both. Financially and in terms of availability, these are talented people. They they may well not be available at our beck and call when the next time we want to make a movie, and that's what happens. Uh, but you know what? They have a good time when they come, and, and I think these guys had a good time making Continuum. And uh, and uh, you know, I mean, is it is it likely we'll ever get them all again? No, not, it's, that's kind of unlikely. Uh, just because of the math, <laughs> but uh, our core, our core folks, I uh, I will uh, move heaven and earth to get them if I can, because uh, I think that that uh, you know Jack and Daniel and Carter and Teal'c uh, and and Mitchell now to a certain extent, uh, and and 
Landry now to a certain extent are part of the fabric of SG-1 and, and uh, fans will get mad at me if I don't put them in it. Every character has their fans. They yeah, that's true. You if not in that's them. true. You can't please everyone. No, I can't. I can't. Uh, I, it's funny. I, I'm in Continuum as the third escort pilot. <laughs> just because I think F-15s are cool and I got to sit in one all day when we were shooting. And... Uh, and uh, you can't really tell it's me, but it's me. I know it's me. Very good. And it's my voice. It's my, uh, as I said, uh, uh, I'm going to show a clip of Martin. And Martin's in the movie, too, in the Arctic. I said, we're going to show a clip of it at uh, at the convention, just because uh, fans seem to like actors much, much more than writers and, and directors. <laughs> Oddly enough. <laughs> Will there be a Blu-ray release for this movie or soundtrack? There can be. There certainly can be a Blu-ray. Uh, we we have the uh, it has the capability of because uh, we shot it on thirty-five mm-hmm. and the, and the effects are finished in HD. Um, there is a soundtrack that uh, you'll be able to to buy, uh, and it is magnificent, as is the one for the Ark of Truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, it's, I tell Joel, he's. He, I listen to them in my car, especially if I'm in a working mood and I want to use the drive to think about the script I'm writing. You know, I like to listen to score when I'm writing. I always have. And uh, I like to listen to Joel's score because it's inspiring. Wormhole disengaged. 